Welcome to the podcast at thatguitarlover.com. I'm your host, Ross Chevalier. But not today, because I'm super excited this time to have my very, very first guest co-host with me, and hopefully not the last. I want you to please welcome my good friend, Mr. Cody Shaw. You know Cody because I've spoken of him on the podcast and in my articles many times. Cody, thanks so much for joining me for the very, very first episode. Thank Addressing you very much for having me. Addressing the needs of the metal player. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm a big fan of your show, and I am happy to talk about this with you today. Well, I'm glad that you're here because, as listeners already know, I'm, I'm not a, a fan of metal. I don't play metal. Um, I don't think it's bad. It's just not the kind of music that I'm particularly into. Mm -hmm. But I know that listeners are. They're not every listener, but everybody's got different tastes, and that's a great thing. But as a consequence, my lack of expertise has meant that I've not been able to answer reasonable questions related to the genre because I don't talk about or write about stuff that I don't know about. Consequently, I'm never going to get a gig as, you know, your generic blog content writer. <laughs> I am a developer and I know what I'm talking about. Most of these folks don't. So, guys, I've brought in an expert. Now, I don't want anybody to think that Cody lives in the metal bucket and can't do anything else because that'd be wrong. He's, he's an incredibly brilliant guy. Thank you very much. But maybe, Cody, we could start off with, maybe you could just describe for the non-metal folks, because I think there's a, bit, a lot of misunderstanding and misnomers applied to this concept of what metal is, and what kinds of music fall under this metal banner? Wow. Uh, well, that's a really great question, uh, especially from somebody who doesn't particularly know or care for the genre. It's it's tough to um, sort of answer that in in one complete concise sentence because I've always thought that you know every decade or so the answer to that question will shift. You know, um, in the late '60s and early '70s, it was like the Black Sabbath and like the Led Zeppelins and things of that nature. That was metal. You know, we fast forward a couple years and now there's this thrash thing and. You know, a lot of really fast downpicking, and that became the sound of metal, which didn't sound a lot like Black Sabbath or the, or the Led Zeppelins that came before it. And then the 90s roll around, and now all of a sudden you have downtuned guitars, and it's more rhythm-oriented, and that didn't sound like any of those two previous decades. So I can speak with authority, you know, on the probably the last two decades, maybe even three, because that's kind of where I got into the game, being in my age in my age gap. But I would say that, you know, the token thing has always been a loud guitar, a very loud guitar. Loud is more good. Yeah, a very loud guitar, often with a lot of distortion or fuzz, depending on what kind of metal you're into, and a very pulsing sort of rhythm section. To go along with that the vocal thing has shifted over the years it, it didn't start out the way it's ended up now so you know i know that that can be sort of a, a a big line in the sand for a lot of folks the vocals in some of this type of music but um 
but there's a lot of different options out there for metal and the hard rock and the punk sort of stuff where it's not always aggressive vocals to go along with it either. So if the vocal thing is, is a turnoff, there's, there's still options for you and still ways you can get into the genre for sure. Okay. That's a really interesting. Maybe you can help me understand better uh, because I don't have the familiarity when you talk about the different vocalizations. Mm-hmm. So I think most folks concur that Black Sabbath was one of the very early metal, so-called metal bands. Yeah. I won't get into Zeppelin because that's a bar fight. Yeah. And I only <laughs> want to start bar fights so I, I can watch them. I can appreciate that. Right? Yeah. But it, 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 is it okay to say that Sabbath was sort of a, a one of the originating metal type bands? For my money, I would say they are. Okay. I mean, zero. we're all working on our own yeah. opinions and it's very yeah. subjective. Yeah. So the vocalizations because i thought i think this is a really interesting topic that i never even thought about Mm -hmm. you said that the vocalizations changed from the late 60s 70s into the 80s where i think you said thrash started to come into play yeah how did the vocals change the first thing that i noticed as a listener was they got progressively more aggressive for the most part okay so it's not that they were louder or there was more screaming. Is it that they were more? Uh, there, there, they did get louder and there was more screaming, but the, the aggression and the, the topic, the subject matter and the lyrics and what they were talking about. So became, more negative, more hostile? Uh, some of it did, you know, some of it did, but there was also a big, there was a big movement in the 80s of, of hardcore, which has got a lot of similar, similarities to metal. Uh, and they were doing all the aggressive shouting and yelling, but they were talking about a lot of positive, positive messages, like, you know, straight edge living and sort of thing. So I see. Okay. They, they were still delivering it with all the force and all the attitude of, of what we had come to hear in the thrash metal world, but they were talking about positive things. So it's, it wasn't always just negative, 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 right? Which I think people, some people from the outside can certainly stop there if they hear negative they're okay that's that's enough for me i'm out okay so help me out then because mm-hmm. you're opening my eyes in this regard so if i go to the 80s that was sort of when bands like metallica really started to come out and you're suggesting that their their lyrical content could be negative but it didn't have to be that's right is that right yeah absolutely but that changed yeah, and it, it was happening at the same time as the thrash metal and the Metallicas and the Slayers were ha- were happening. You know, on the East and West Coast, there was like this whole punk movement that turned into a hardcore thing, which was basically a fusion of punk and metal. And they... So is that something like a Black Flag, like a Henry uh, Rollins type the, of thing? The be- very beginnings of all that, yeah. Um, okay. And then it evolved into to other bands, but yeah, uh, and they were speaking explicitly about um, things that I don't think metal metal guys would even dare talk about, where some metal guys would like to stay in the fantasy world where they're talking about, you know, like you get a Dio who's talking about dragons and magic and, you know, you get Black Sabbath who were singing about, um, you know, uh, what's the best way to sum- summarize what, they would sing about you know there was like the title song black sabbath right, right. They're, they're singing about a monster or or a spirit um some of the other types of lyrical content you'd get 
uh, on the flip side of that were things like, uh, you know, uh, depression, drug use, all that sort of more, more way more personal topics. Um, and, and more societal and more societal, definitely. Okay. Um, and the thing that surprised me was it wasn't just, woe was me? These are the times and everything's bad. There was a big shift in, um, you know, I'm not going to be a part of that. And that's what this mu music is about. That's oh, okay, what this cool. scene is about. So it took all the same things that I've, that I liked about heavy music and spun it with positive energy. And that really kept me going. You know, when things started to sort of get stale a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. I've heard every Metallica album. I've heard all of the Black Sabbath albums. I've heard all the stuff that came out in the 90s. I've went down the deep rabbit hole of the death metal and, the, you know, all that sort of stuff. Then all, all of a sudden you find this other subgenre that branches out into many other subgenres and they're talking about positive things, but delivering it with all of the same sort of gusto of the other guys. So that's not entirely different from let's call them the more successful grunge bands yeah they took a very heavy focus mm -hmm. very simplified courting uh nirvana is an exception because there's an enormous amount of musicality in there yeah but again it was more, they were very personal stories they that's were right. relatable stories yeah yeah uh poetic in many cases mm -hmm. uh but definitely not not what I think that most folks think when they hear the words metal. Yeah. They think like Norse death metal, yes. kill them all. It's, uh, it's uh, what, yeah. what's the guy, Eddie with the yeah, axe? Eddie with the axe from Iron Maiden, yeah. There's if if all of those things keep you away from heavy music, um, because you think that's you may think that might be all the genre has to offer the answer is 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 no there's so much more um and it talks about the most personal and real things that can happen in your day-to-day -day. um you know and still deliver it and, may, and maybe just the the lyrical content might be the thing that tips you over and and wins you over maybe you know you never know well i confess in my case you know the concept of nirvana didn't excite me and then i listened to the words yeah yeah and, and they're not all perfectly clear no, no. Cobain was a Definitely poet. He was, yeah. I mean, and I think a better poet than, you know, let's say, for example, Jim Morrison is always credited as this great poet. I think Cobain had an enormous amount of skill with how he conveyed thoughts into words. Now, I understand I that that's not metal, but you're saying that there are, and guys, you can't see me doing air quotes, that there are metal bands who would tell similar stories. Absolutely. I don't want to be this thing. I don't want to follow this common and generic path. That's right. Yeah. So um, very more individualistic? Totally. Um, okay. You know, with, with a lot of the fantasy elements, you find, I, I found the lyrical content was projecting yourself to be this um, almost fictionalized character, this, this idealized version of yourself, this fantasy version of yourself. Um, but then to flip it. Oh, oh, so like the Dungeons and Dragons. That's right. Yeah. A fighter with 18, 18 stats and everything. There's a, there is a lot of that in metal. I'm not going to okay. deny it. That That is all over the place. And most of the time when you pick up, uh, you know, a metal magazine or, you know, you click on a metal music website or whatever, wherever you find this content, that's probably the first couple things you're going to see because that's become sort of like the Ronald McDonald 
of metal. Okay. You know, like I, I always associate it with that. Um, but there's there is a lot more out there than what often get brought to the surface, just like in any genre. But um, if if the lyrical delivery turned you off or the lyrical content turned you off, there there is stuff out there for you. You know, for well, sure. I think that's something we should probably talk about in another episode because yeah. from my own personal interest, and hey, it's my show. I can do whatever the hell I want. Absolutely. I'd like to learn more okay. because clearly I'm not. I may have missed something. I mean. I did. <laughs> I didn't figure out Django Reinhardt until yeah. I was older. Yeah. <laughs> and let's just, more. I'm more vintage now than I once was. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Now, after you talked about the 90s and then what happened? Uh, well, the 90s tonally, like if we're talking more about the guitar again, um, in the 90s, it became, the, as we were saying, the downtuned guitars and the more rhythm oriented. Uh, in the early 2000s, things sort of meshed between some of the thrash. Uh, we got a little bit more of the thrash element, the really fast picking, um, but a lot of the groove from what we got in the 90s, it sort of hybrid. It became a hybrid. Um, and so who, who, what band would be an example of that, or bands might be an example? It, for the early 2000s, some of the big ones that rise to my mind would be uh, like a band like Lamb of God. Um, they were they sort of come came out and came up in that scene, in that timeline. Uh, a Lamb of God, a Killswitch Engage. Uh, they introduced a lot of melody. Another band that didn't sing about a lot of fantasy elements, a lot of personal struggles, going back to that just for a second. Um, it was more of a hybrid of, of things you'd remember from the eighties about metal guitar and, but still had the nineties sort of tonality in there too, in the group. So early two thousands for me is a special time because it, it was a melting pot of okay. two different styles, completely different styles. And they, and it, somehow it worked and it worked like it had been around forever, which was great. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Because then it, pro then it, I think that means that it has legs. And it's still so. relevant to people today. I, I well, I I would hope so. I think anybody who uh, was around when that was happening and and saw the shift, like I remember coming online to music and seeing what was popular in the '90s, and then seeing it shift in the early 2000s into what it was. And I remember thinking, like, wow, this is pretty special. And I remember acknowledging the shift, and that was the first big shift that I had uh, sort of seen with my own eyes. Um, and then with the internet coming later, it became less about decades, I think, and more about, um, just different, uh, platforms like the MySpace. Uh, and how the, you bring your music to your listener. Yeah, absolutely. And so, it, I mean, that goes into the whole, you know, the whole conversation that is not genre specific about, you know, people call it the death of the record company, but it's just really just a transitional yeah things. and now you know back uh, bands recorded with the concept of the album yeah and the album having a number of songs that together told a story and albums are no longer fashionable i mean they're becoming less and less yeah you put out a single and a if the, the single time. gets play and play doesn't mean the radio anymore mm -hmm. it means spotify that's good enough for a lot of folks yeah or, or for a lot of a lot of creatives yeah and we won't get into whether some forms of music are creative or not that's a different conversation entirely 
that's one of my rant hole rat, rat hole rants. I'll, I'll spare you that. But is that is that fair? I that the so. music has evolved more to be song specific rather than contextual story specific. I, yeah, I I think so. I think music as a whole has done that. I think um, I think the metal and hard rock punk world uh, was still trying to package their their brand and 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 everything as an album still and still mm -hmm. trying to push the album story and the concept or if there was a concept uh, a lot harder and a lot longer than some of the other artists perhaps um yeah i think you could say that that was true for um what did they call it alternative yeah the the albums tended to be collections of stories that were interrelated yeah and that was some of the things that made it made them successful i mean honestly i think the days of sitting around with your friends listening to the a and the b side of a record they, yeah they're probably gone unfortunately you're probably right but man those were great days they i was only around for a little bit of that I'm, I'm, thank, thank, thank you for the ages. Um, no, I'm I just. Appreciate that I, I don't. I just didn't want to speak uh, like I've been there and done it when it when you know. No, I've, I've, just I've only there. seen. I've only seen what I've seen, but uh, like when I came into it, it was tapes. We were making tapes. Okay. Yeah. And it was there's still the side A side B, so same concept. And I remember making tapes for friends. Um, yeah. Twenty two and a half minutes, and then you flip it. Absolutely. And here, you know, check this out, and 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 that's how I was introduced to a lot of these different types of metal we were talking we were, we've been talking about um you know when i sort of came online to music you know it was harder for me to go backwards because i only knew what was happening now and that sounded that to me was my ground zero was my base camp okay um and it took me years just like you had said about going backwards and discovering things like django reinhardt it took me years to be able to open my ears enough to be able to travel backwards and then having to appreciate, like, none of those things existed yet. <laughs> Here's Black Sabbath. Think about what was out at the time. Right. As as their contemporaries. Like, this was the edgiest thing around tonally, top, you know, right. the topics they were talking about. Um, but that's how I got into going backwards was, was doing the tape thing. Um, I wish it was as cool as vinyl. I wish. In the context of metal, has streaming changed how metal is done? Um, that's a really great question. That's a really great question because I also got into the streaming thing late. I got into that late. I was, what do you mean? You don't buy it on iTunes and download it and put the, phys you know, the physical file, the file itself onto your iPod and then have it backed up on a hard drive. I'm still thinking in terms of like I needed content that you own content that i own instead of something that i'm i'm streaming um so i think it probably has to 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 how that's going to play out in the long run for the genre i, I have no idea i'm um, not sure that anybody knows yeah you know i think the businesses are tr still trying to figure out how do i make money out of this yeah um, well there there may be a benefit for, to bands in that they're not paying the middleman of the record company but what i'm hearing is that streaming is not particularly lucrative to a musician. Here we are, it's 2023. Where is metal today from a music perspective? And then we'll get into 
what subscribers kind of expect us to talk about, which is gear. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, where it's at today, I, I, to be honest with you, I'm, I, there might be a lot of people out there who disagree with me, but I think that's okay. You have the microphone. Yeah, I do. That's right. Um, I think there's. I think we haven't really done many new innovative things since the mid to late 2000s. I think we've kind of recycled a lot of things. I think what has actually started happening is it's become for a while there, then it became instead of the new songwriting technique or the new tonality, um, it, for a while we started shifting into, okay, now we have seven and eight string and now this band has nine string guitars and look how, you know, it was, that became sort of the, the draw of like, where are we going with this? Um, or at least as far as what I was tapped into, um, because a lot of the kick drum sounds, a lot of the, you know, guitar tones, all of that that's happening now, you know, was still, that was happening in the early 2000s. So, um, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's, it's grown and changed as much as it had in previous decades. Uh, it's, I think it's more honed its craft than reinvented the wheel. Now you're saying it hasn't really changed that much. I, I don't feel it has. Okay. Um, I don't feel it really has changed all that much in that regard. Has um, there been an embrasure of, you mentioned multi, multi string instruments and we will talk about that. Mm -hmm. Has there been an embrasure of different time signatures or is it still there has there has been um but that was always there that was always that there. was always there um and and i think that was always there maybe not in some of the um sort of more popular groups of the genre um you know you, again you you if you dig into some of these subgenres and these progressive things there, there's a, a math metal uh, sort of segue that that happened in the mid 2000s and then uh, a band like Meshuggah who were the first band that started using eight strings they've always played with time signatures and right. there's a whole bunch of a whole so, crop of bands that started as a subgenre from that so it was always there um, okay so so i i guess i don't know that you can classify them as metal but guys like Tosin Abasi or yeah. Periphery or Polyphia yeah where they're taking that formal structure yes and then stretching it yes yeah and they're using more varied time signatures more key changes within the context of a single song yep am i understanding this right yeah absolutely um i think it's funny that you brought those guys up specifically because i honestly think both of those guys wouldn't be on the map if there wasn't that band i just mentioned mashuga they they opened oh, no, up there's they the mashuga yeah and i'm you know yeah. i'm not a metal guy but yeah somebody had to kick the gate open it was them I, I for my money it was them they did for the eight string and time signature weird time signature thing what black sabbath did in the beginning just to just bust the doors wide open uh, they they truly get should get all the credit for that but um what tosin did which was interesting was introduce a lot of jazz and yeah. funk stuff um the the trouble is now is that i don't Whereas one sound would sort of take over um, in the 80s, you know what I mean? Like the thrash thing, everyone started doing thrash. And then in the 90s, everyone was doing the down-tuned, groovy stuff. 
with the internet now, and there's so many options, nothing ever rises completely to the top. It all vibrates on its own frequency, you know? I think it was very worthwhile, and I'm very grateful that you took the time to kind of give us a, it's not level setting, it's kind of an eye-opening to what metal is. Metal is not one thing any more than jazz is one thing. Yeah. Or even blues rock is one thing. It It's easy to um, compartmentalize metal as one thing, but I think it's probably got more, more subgenres within it than most other genres, to be perfectly honest. And okay. I'm not just saying that as, as a fan trying to... Well, no, but I think that's true, because as a jazz fan, oh, I hate jazz. Really? Which jazz? Yeah. Well, jazz. Okay. So you've never actually listened to any, have you? Right. Right. Yeah. Because, and, and, and I'm guilty of that myself, you know, because I had this picture that metal was this one box. Yes. But what I've learned from you is, oh no, sir. It's many, many different boxes and some of them don't talk to each other. Lots of them don't. Okay. Lots of them. So that sets some really useful guidelines for our, our first conversation on the topic. Mm-hmm. In the areas of music where I do have expertise, which is in the gear space, for every style, there is a, air quotes, best guitar or best amplifier or most favored or, pardon me for being cynical, instrument of the week. Mm-hmm. Is there something like that in the context of metal? And you did talk about multi, uh, more than six strings. So let's start with six strings. Sure. Um, and start with guitars. Is there a particular configuration for a guitar for someone who loves metal and is not yet playing or someone who loves metal and really wants to focus that as their area of um not their only area, but perhaps their area of preference. For for from a beginner standpoint, we're, we're beginner talking about to, beginner through intermediate through through yeah. a sophisticated player. Sure. Where should they be looking? Um, I would always uh, suggest to people um, if they want to play metal and they want to get into a guitar that's not going to give them a ton of headaches and probably be pretty stable and easy playing. I've always championed the Ibanez RG. Okay, so I've seen now I've seen the RGs. Yeah. And please correct me because I am not an Ibanez expert. I find I I just have a, a I have a stomach reaction to the naming. Yeah. Why can't I, you call it something simple? Not the RG three thirty two dash sixteen Z. Yes. Um but now they tend to have a very flat radius. Yep. and a very thin neck. Is that a is that a fair statement, or am I out of line? No, that's a, that is pretty much what they do best. Um, and and is that conducive to the metal player? I I would I would say so. Um, giving I I've seen it a, a bunch of times where I've um I've put a guitar in somebody's hands, and the thin neck contour, the lightweight body, you know the the immediate fret access right by being a double cut um that's all there that's all it lends itself to a beginner for sure um okay. 
now what's the what is the you know is that typically a humbucker equipped guitar yeah yeah um personal biases aside uh the other thing that you'll hear in metal is you know you probably going to hear on about 99.9% of the albums that you'll find and this is with, within all of these boxes we just talked about is a bridge humbucker a bridge based humbucker okay yeah. yeah um and certainly you know if you go online or you go into a decent guitar shop which means not buying from amazon you're going to find these guitars like an rg which is a double cut yep um double cut for those who are not comfortable is the thing that doesn't look like a les paul it looks more like a stratocaster for us old people um with at least a humbucker in the bridge position but probably a humbucker in the neck neck position as well um yeah they, well they do a bunch of different models but yeah um if you can get yourself an rg with a bridge humbucker um that's a great starting place okay now I recently did an episode that I that I know you listened to, which was discussion of pickups. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing in preparation, so I wasn't the complete idiot in the room. Uh, so I could sort of keep up with you vaguely. There seems to be a preference, more than just an affection, for active pickups. Is that is that a true statement? Or am I attributing the statements of popular musicians to, and making a generalization out of them? It's it's come and gone. Um, okay. It's come and gone. Um, over the years, I've seen the the consensus shift. You know, and not just influencers on on YouTube or any of that stuff. You know, people I'm playing with in my own groups or it, when I go to local performances or any of that stuff. Um, you know, there was a there was a time where the EMG, the active yep. EMG 81 bridge pickup was seen as like the be all end all for that sound, you know? Well, in fact, I read a recent interview where James Hatfield still from Metallica. Yeah. And and again, that's a box, mm -hmm. not all boxes, but yep. he's still a big fan. Yep. But his guitar partner, Kirk Hammett, yeah. is no longer. So that was a surprising is, is, one. Yeah. Is that the is that the kind of just evolutionary transition that happens over time? Yeah, I think it also um it, it's it I think it also relates to just who is the popular player. Um mm -hmm. because when Metallica uh be, became sort of the the entity that they are now, you know, the EMG81 came into play and you saw a lot of guys putting those pickups into their guitar because he was the figurehead, you know, okay. he was the rhythm, uh, the rhythm, metal rhythm guy, right? Right. Um, so monkey see, monkey do. Um, when Tosin Abasi came onto the scene, um, you know, it, I don't think it was right away, but not far after he rose to the fame that he he is now, he became a big Fishman uh, oh, fluence pickups, the, man. The fluence. And then at that point, the you know that became the the pickup. Everyone was ripping out their EMGs or ripping out their Seymour Duncans, and fluence went in everything. So I think it it moves around depending on who the most sort of popular and relevant player is at the time. Wow, that's um, never happened before. Like yikes. all the guys who ripped the chrome covers off their 
bridge pickups because Jimmy Page did. Exactly. Okay. It's still going on. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay, I get that. So to come back to that person who's buying a, a guitar because metal is their preference, mm -hmm. whatever genre of metal it is. Yeah. A bridge humbucker is important. Very important. But it doesn't have to be an active pickup. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. And the downside to an active pickup is if you forget and leave the cable plugged in, the battery's dead the next time you pick up the guitar. The battery's dead. That's right. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, that makes sense. Now, what about vibrato? Is that a must-have, a good-to-have, or not necessary? Again, for the kind of target audience that we're talking about, that beginner-intermediate player who yeah. enjoys metal. So, great question, because... Um, it will become important. Okay. It, it will become important. Not, not for everybody. Um, like I've, I've played for, a, for over 20 years now and I've had guitars with the Trem systems and the Floyds and the Edge Pros and all of that stuff. Um, my preference is still hardtail. What I would say to a beginner is if you can get an, uh, if one of those RGs, for example, um, they do make a lot of hardtail options. Um, yeah. It's just, a lot more stress-free for beginners. Um, it's a lot more stable. It's not going to move around. If you break a string, which you probably will as a beginner, yeah, it's not going to. Everybody gonna, does. It's That's not going to throw. Yeah, at any level, you'll break. I'm still breaking strings all the time. Um, and it's not going to sound like cat puke when yeah. one string goes. Yeah, the, with the yeah, it's just there's enough on your plate as a beginner of new information to take in. I wouldn't throw the extra um, element of having the learning curve of a floating bridge or a trem system in there, that would be my recommendation. Okay. Keep it simple. But Digitech's back in business. Buy a whammy pad. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've said that many times, actually. It's funny you mentioned that. Um, there's, well, you can always go, I mean, the, the new EVH guitars that are out, um, I, I believe they're not fully routed. Um, no. So, you know. They'll go down, they don't go up. They go down, they don't go up. So, um, you know, that was. Just like the original Wolfman. That's right. Yeah. If if you had to go with with a tremolo system or a vibrato system of any kind, um, like if it was on your wish list, um, I would say start there. But if if nothing else, I think a straight up hardtail or or you know uh, like a Gibson style bridge or something like that for a beginner. String bending is a thing. It is, and I know that the longer the scale length, mm -hmm. the harder the bending is. Yeah. However, you also talked about drop tuning. That's right. And if you want to do drop tuning, mm -hmm. the longer scale length is preferable. It is. Yeah, it is. So is it reasonable to suggest to the buyer that they need to think about that? If the type of music they're going to play is going to be very bend-oriented, yep. a shorter scale will be more comfortable mm -hmm. until you build up your calluses. That's right. Um, but if you're going to do drop tuning... You know, like I think people are dropping even an E string down to A now. Oh yeah, that's that's that's, that's gonna going to flop on. around like absolutely like a fish on a dock yeah. if the scale's too short. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that that's that's kind of why I recommended the the uh, the Ibanez RG just off the top of my head. I'm not. Uh, in the business of promoting Ibanez for any reason, but it's a 25, oh, five yeah, scale guys. We get absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. 
it's it's just a great platform for somebody in that genre because uh, it's going to have the humbucker, it's going to have the fret access as we talked about, the scale length, 25.5. So if you're going to drop it, I would imagine as a beginner, you might start out just doing the drop D thing. You know, um, it can handle that without turning into wet spaghetti on the fretboard. Okay. Um, it's also, you know, it also has the straight pull for the strings. So again, if you do later on decide to drop that, the tuning of your guitar down even further, the straight pull through the nut on, on that style headstock is going to help that fight. Absolutely. All right. So that's good guidance for folks. I think that's a really good start. And you've suggested that, and again, we don't get paid to recommend stuff here and we don't even get sent stuff to test. So the experience that Cody and I share basically is stuff we've played or we own. And he's got the same disease I do, which means play it, like it, own it. Yep. Much to our, we're both fortunate that our spouses are very understanding. Yeah. We'll just leave it at that. That's right. And I've been as RG family is probably a good place for most play, most folks to start. Yeah. I w- and I mean, there are others, right? There's Jackson and Charvel and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't want to seem like I was just doing no, the no, you're not. thing. Um, you know, I have it, I have in my note, you know, ESP uh, or oh, right, right. LTD, you know, LTD would be the price point for beginners. Well, the um, LTD, so LTD is ESP's lower cost of entry line yeah that's right. that's their i think it's indonesian Indi- yeah. i believe well ltd i know it is made in in indonesia yeah. i don't know if it's wmi or cortec yeah i don't their know quality is really good it's excellent but ibanez esp uh charvel charvel if you can find a hardtail they don't really offer a ton of models with hardtail they're, they're out there but they don't offer no, a they ton tend of to them. have the wang bar on them most of them do um uh Schechter possibly I haven't okay. come across a Schechter that I'm particularly fond of so if but so Schechter <laughs> is another line that people could look at absolutely but again I think it comes down, down back to what you said if you hold it and it's comfortable yes and it, you know it's not giving you uh what did somebody say it doesn't turn you into a hunchback yep because it's so darn heavy mm-hmm. and if the neck is comfortable for you particularly if you're coming up and you're a younger player yep your fingers and your hands are going to grow. That's right. And you don't. So let's start there. Don't start on a half scale or a three quarter scale guitar. I wouldn't start on a proper on a full scale guitar and just grow into it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's the guidance I give to anybody in anything. Yeah. Unless you're like six years old. Well, to to further that point, one more step uh, with metal music specifically, especially what I'm seeing a lot of now is 25.5 is almost like the short scale. Com- right. You know? Right, right on. Now, now there's guitars out there, you know, that are, well, you got the multi-scale stuff or you got two different scale lengths, um, you know, but uh, I've seen signature guitars uh, and, and production line guitars now that are as long as 30 inches. Yeah, they're, they're as long as a short scale bass. That's right, yeah. Yeah, um, no, you're, you're, thank you for bringing that up because I did see some sixes. Mm-hmm. With a twenty-eight inch scaling, yeah, that's right, and 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 a not a special order item, sort of a commercially standard available product. It's becoming more and more available to the commercial, and that's going to be really important if the style that the player wants to embrace involves a lot of drop tuning. Absolutely, it does. Because otherwise, what was your phrase? Spaghetti on the fretboard. Yeah, yeah. No, I can see that. Okay, 
Now I own and play seven and eight strings. Now, I'm not a metal player, although I may become one. One of the things I love about the sevens and eights is they've got this massively extended frequency range. They do. And I know that initially a lot of the implementers were using them for metal first. You yeah. saw metal players yeah. with sevens, eights, and now nines more than you would see in all alternate genres. Definitely. Uh, I am seeing a more a greater pickup in sevens and eights for, let's call it the non-metal genres, but only in the hands of the instrumentalist or the musician who's looking either for extended range, but also sympathetic drone. Mm -hmm. Is that a place to start? Or is... Should folks start, is a six string more versatile overall? I think it would depend on the player, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, and I say that because, um, like I got, I initially started drop tuning my sixes to get down to the tunings that my, my, my heroes were playing in. Okay. Um, and then I sort of clicked online go, well, if I'm dropping my guitar to be standard, right, a six-string guitar, a seven-string guitar gives me B. Gives me B standard, and also E standard simultaneously. Right. So I sacrifice nothing. I still I can have my cake and eat it too. Right. Um, and that's that's what got me into the the seven-string world, and I think that's probably what where a lot of people would would make that jump. Um, and then I think a lot of it happen the same way with the eight strings you know people were down tuning their seven strings and hey wait a second i can get to f sharp with this eight string and still have my high e the you know like that sort of stuff oh no i i uh, absolutely concur with that yeah you know myself i love playing my uh, my sevens and eights in fact my eight and i am going to load in some personal bias here um both I now have three Strandberg guitars using the Enduroneck system, which is a very different mm -hmm. neck design. Um, and one of the reasons I chose them for sevens and eights is because they didn't hurt my hands. Right. Like they're very, for me, they're very easy to play. I want to come back to one of the things that you said earlier. If the player does choose a seven mm -hmm. or an eight, they really need to spend time with the car before buying it definitely to see that it's going to be comfortable absolutely and fit their hands i think this comfort element for any player but particularly for the player who's going to leverage yeah. the lower tuning of a seven or an eight or even a nine mm -hmm. that neck has to feel really comfortable for you am, do you agree or am i out of line i totally agree and in a genre where um in a genre where sometimes it would be more tempting to get the spiky or pointy guitar or, you know, the one that looks the coolest. Oh, you mean like the one that they used in Stranger Things? Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah, let's get in, let's rerun those BC Rich guitars because they were so awesome the first two times. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, the genre is known for, for that. Um, and I can see for a new player, especially a young person, 
going, oh, the, that guitar looks... They want the axe, stabby, they want the axe, sword, the stabby, You know, that's that's great, but if it, if it feels uncomfortable when you pick it up, you will never go back to that instrument. And So it, becomes, it sits under the bed or in a closet. The, exactly, you know, so the comfort, I would say, outweighs um, the the aesthetic the the visual aesthetic of the guitar and i think that's a really important point to to try to hammer home with a, a person who's just starting out because they will pick with their eyes your hands won't lie to you um right. so you can pick something that looks great with your eyes but as i said before if it feels uncomfortable to you it will literally just become something that you know is in the corner of your bedroom so the only suggestion i'd add to that is to find a guitar shop with a guy like Cody. Try it. Try it. How does it feel? Forget how it looks. Yeah. And then how does it sound? Yeah. Does it sound dead when it's not plugged in? Yeah. Because if it does, it's going to be dead plugged in. Yeah. Amplification does not make a bad guitar sound. Absolutely. Those manufacturers have done, a, I think, a more effective job of making the guitar fit the person. Yeah. In terms with of chamfering the body for the upper arm, yep. allowing for a belly cut. You talked about being able to get your fingers all the way up the neck. So they've done the cutaway yeah. and you're not running into, you know, the mounting block for the neck. That's right. Yeah. They've, everything has been sort of refined over the years, I find, with that company for, for, for comfort. Um, you know, it, it might not be your favorite looking guitar again. Um it might not be even something that your heroes use, but if I was to put one of those in your hands, I'd be, there's very rarely do I encounter the person who says, this this feels 100% uncomfortable to me. Um, so take that for what it is, you know. I think, this, I think the concept of comfort is going to do more for playing than anything else. If it's comfortable, they're going to play it. Yep. And their parents who are paying for the lessons... Are going to get some value yeah and that goes across the board for all like all genres for sure but the thing i'll i'll circle back to to, to keep this going with the, the metal sort of thing is uh if you think about the riffage that happens in metal and the busyness that can happen in portions of of these songs you know do you want to be playing fast on something that that feels uncomfortable or you do do you want to be doing that on something that feels really good in your hands. I want to chat briefly about multi-scale. Yeah. Now, I'm a huge fan of multi-scale. For the person, and let's talk about the person who is liking the idea of down-tuning. Mm-hmm. So, or a seven or even an eight. Mm-hmm. Is multi-scale a better choice for that type of thing? Or does it matter? I think, like I've said already, I'll repeat one of, one of my previous answers that I think it depends on the player. Um, okay. I have seven and eight string guitars, none of which are multi-scale. And that wasn't a conscientious choice of, I don't like multi-scale. It's just, I, I'm still have yet to have that perfect moment in time where I pick one up and it's comfortable. When I try to multi-scale, um, the first thing I try to do is like the cowboy chords, because that's where you find the most extreme deviation of the frets. Is, oh, absolutely. Right. Where do I have to reach the most? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I found that as I got, as I ascended, got higher up the neck, that I didn't even think about it, right? So um, I don't necessarily think that it's, in, that it's super important because um, there's so many options out there now for stuff that isn't multi-scale, that's extended scale length. 
Um, right. So, that's so, a good point. So I think, you know, I think you'd need to leverage. So try them both. Try them both. Try them both because they're both out there now, which is great. Right. Um, and, and sort of figure out what you think is going to be more important to you in that regard. Right. Um, I have uh, a few seven strings that are, that are just 25, five scale, you know, right. and I keep them in B standard or at most drop a, and they hold tuning great because they're well-built guitars and they're, they were set up well and I maintain them. Um, you know, but I'm sure there's tons of multi-scales out there that could do that same tuning, no problem. And mm -hmm. you know, they're going to be great as well. Okay. So the guidance and I respect that. So the guidance is just as I give for everything you decide don't don't let anybody else tell you one take, way or the other absolutely take advantage of the fact that these things are out there now and you don't have to order one from across the world from a guy building them in his basement you know no that's um, true like it, we're the options for a consumer now uh, are better than they ever have been in terms of what's out there and the choices um, so definitely try both definitely okay. try both all right so Let's move on to basses because I, what I learned, correct me if I'm wrong, if the guitar player is dropping, yes, the bass player may want to drop as well because otherwise That's the right. two start to fight each other. That's right. Like yeah. as an engineer, I look at the tone, the frequency response. Mm -hmm. I want my bass and my guitar to be separate so they're creating width in the song. Yeah. Not sitting on top of each other having a pub fight. Yep. Is that fair? No, it's totally fair, and that it can become more. It can become a murky thing um, with a guitar that's, you know, almost in bass frequency territory. I get it. Um, well, yeah. In fact, I saw I saw a custom one in a video. I think it's three months old that Tim Pierce had built for him, and it's in standard E to E tuning. Yeah, but it's one full step down. One full step down. Yeah. It sounds brilliant. Yeah, they they do sound awesome. Terrible thing because now I want one. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny you mentioned that. But it's one of those things. It's yeah. it's a guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've seen actually bass players in bands play those, um, and they use that as the the bass, and and maybe not for a whole album, maybe for for just a song or two. But um, you know, that's how how bassy they can get is that they can sub in for the bass player. The bass player can take his bass off, put one of those on, play one of those, and still fulfill that role in the, in the band. Right. Yeah. And that's going to be considerably different than going to, you know, like a five-string bass, mm -hmm. which gives you one lower tone. That's right. But if you go to a six-string bass, you don't go any lower. No. You go one up. Is there a bass or style of bass that is a good place for a metal player. Yeah. Um, I think there's lots of options and I think it's, again, it depends on your genre. You know, um, if you are sort of waving the flag for uh, thrash and, and trying to keep that thing going, then, you know, you can probably grab a Fender P bass off the rack and get your point across because you don't need it to do certain things. You don't need to down tune it as as, right. as far, you know. The the pickup output strength doesn't need to be quite as hot. Um, so I think it it really comes down to assessing like what your goal is and where you see yourself going. Like what's the 
type of music you like because that's clearly where you're going to be headed with an okay, instrument. Okay, so again, it comes down to the genre of metal. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, if you're in a thrash metal band, I could hand you a Fender P bass and you could do You'll totally fine. fine. Or, or a Rickenbacker or something like that. And right. you'd be totally fine. Now, if you're... Well, let me seem to get by okay in Motorhead with just a Rick. Absolutely, exactly, right? Um, but if you're... Okay, uh, I play in a band that plays music that's similar to Meshuggah, and they're playing, you know, eight strings and F sharp. Oh, right. where do we go here, right? So um, I couldn't hand you a Fender P bass. Well, no, because you're, the overlap's going to be that's right. so obvious, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in terms of what's out there in the stores right now, uh, you, what you had just mentioned a second ago, the Marcus Miller stuff, I think that is a great option uh, for, for players who want extended scale for bass players. Um, because you can have a five and you can do the exact same thing as a guitar player would do. You, you can, can drop it. You can drop it, right? Okay. Um, the magic, I think, in terms of where a guitar player and a bass player sit is is how you EQ uh, your instrument and your amplifier and your pedals. You know, uh, and particularly when you start going downtown with the tuning. So again, for that style of music, it's worth taking the time to consider a five. Absolutely. And if you've got to cover an extended range of tones, mm -hmm. then maybe consider a six. But a six isn't going to get you lower than That's a five. That's right. That'll get you higher. It'll get you higher. That'll get you higher. And more weight. Yes. Yeah. And a much larger fretboard. A much larger <laughs> fretboard. Yeah. Yeah. All those thoughts you had about fancy chords, forget that. Absolutely, yeah. All right. Okay, so we've talked, I think, well uh, about the options of guitars, basses, pickups, scale length, uh, standard scale, multi-scale. Mm -hmm. Now about the hearing. Are there amplifiers that are more suited to metal styles than others? Definitely. Um, so what should people look at? Uh, well, there's just like guitars over the years, there's been amps that have come in and out of fashion. In terms of amps, like you had mentioned, um, that you go for a clean platform and then you sort of dirty it up with pedals. Um, there is, there's a ton of guys in the genre that, that do exactly that. Okay. Um, that's that's um, that's not something that's unheard of in the metal genre. Um, I've seen a lot of players do exactly that. Um, what pedals they're goosing their amps with in front may be different. Of course. But same concept. Um, what I'm a little bit more familiar with is having an amplifier that's got a dedicated dirty channel or a rhythm and a lead channel. Okay. Um, just controlled by a foot switch. Just controlled by a regular old foot switch, yeah. Um, well, that's certainly simpler and less of a cabling and power hassle. Than yeah, metals. It, well, it can be, but I mean, then typically, you know, if you, what you get from that is also, you know, it's going to be large, it's going to be heavy. Um, for the for for the most part, if you're well, gigging, if you're gigging, if you're no, and yeah. I can see that because I, you know, I've got a Boogie Mark V, the original ninety watt version, mm -hmm. and it's physically small, right? Until you pick it up. Until you pick it up then it's yeah. not so small. That's right. And I think you've got a, is it a dual or a triple rect? Uh, dual rectifier, yeah. That's uh, not light. It's definitely not light. Um, it's not light, but the tone that I get out of it, 
Um, there's nothing else like it. There's nothing else like it. And it was, it, it, that one became an important amplifier for me because as I had said to you before, coming online to, to the genre of music I liked, that was the amplifier of choice. Um, when I was buying circus and hip parader magazines and pull, putting the, you know, cutting out the pictures of my guitar heroes and putting them on my bedroom wall, what was behind them was a lot of Mesa Boogie and dual rectifier sort of stuff. That was what was happening then. Okay. You know, I, I'm familiar with that. For me, it was the wall of Marshalls. That's right. Yeah. Or high watts. Yeah. And, and just as we said before, over the years, it just sort of shifts around and, right. and, and you know, so for, but for me, yeah, it was the Mesa stuff. So, okay. Well, I, I mean, I love this and, and I believe that the Mesa, the Mesa amps sound different. They definitely do. There, there isn't, I don't think there's anything else that sounds like them. Agreed. Um, but as you said, that may be bigger, more expensive. Yeah. Um, and perhaps let, let's just say less convenient. I mean, if you're living in an apartment, mm -hmm. you're not going to fire up a dual rack. No. I, and well, I, not live there for long. Yeah, anyway. not live there for very long. That's right. Yeah. Um, for a beginner, um, you know, some amplifiers that I could, that I could speak of right off the top of my head. Um, you know, things like the orange micro dark. Um, okay. that's, that's a, that's a great place to start. It's pretty simple. There's only three knobs on the front. Um, so pretty user-friendly, you know, volume gain and, and uh, shape, I believe is what they use. Um, there's the EVH, uh, LBX line that's out okay. now. Um, and they make a couple different versions of those ones with a clean channel, a dirty channel, two dirty channels, uh, a clean channel and the lead channel. So there's different configurations of that. And they're 15 watts with tubes and you can power them down, I believe, to a half power, a quarter power, okay. something like that. So I think that's an important point because the value prop for an amp like that is if you are going to a jam or you're even playing a small gig, mm -hmm. it's got enough power. That's right. Yeah. But you can turn the power down without mm -hmm. sacrificing the tone Yeah. for when you're playing at home. That's right. Yeah. You can still sort of get that tube amp thing um, without, uh, without blowing the doors off or getting evicted out of your apartment. Right. Yeah. Right. So for that person who's starting out and, and probably is playing at home, mm -hmm. that's a place where you would suggest that they look. Yeah. I would say the micro dark. The EVH LBX stuff, the Marshall DSL one or five or ten or whatever configuration. Um, I think even Mesa Boogie um, still produces the Mini Recto, and you can power those down as well. So if okay, I and I believe that you're right about the Mini Rec being available. But they buy good stuff mm -hmm. as opposed to Bob's yeah. guitar amp. Yeah, it's going to be worth something to somebody down the road. Absolutely. You know, they go with the, I mean, even like a Boss Katana or a, Catal a Line 6 Catalyst. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they may deliver option paralysis because they do so many things. Swiss Army Knife Amp, yeah. But they're not awful. Nope. And you can and you can cut their output down. Now, they're not tube. And, and, I th and you know, I'm glad you brought those up too because it's... Tube amps are wonderful. They're not always what a beginner will have access to or the funds for. Well, no, because the price is the price stupid. Is, yeah, that's right. So the Boss Katana is another great option. 
Um, I tend to recommend katanas to to young players starting out because they do so much. They do, yeah, they do, and they've got all those effects built in. So even in terms of if that's your starting point, and then you eventually get into a tube amp, and you wondering you're wondering what kind of pedals do I want to have on the floor to integrate with my you've already had a sound. chance to try something you've already got a taste of smorgasbord uh, yeah you know from the katana yeah, so that would be, be a great place. the flanger you want but you figured out what a flanger does and whether it fits absolutely boss took what the digitech multi effect pedals were doing way back in the day and put that in an amp and did it much better i think both boss and line six um particularly line six with their heritage with yamaha who know a little bit about music mm-hmm uh, I think there's a lot of options there for both guitarists and for bass players. Yep, absolutely. Now, you also, if we, there are also decent starter amps from from lots of other people, but they may not deliver the tone that the metal player is seeking. Yeah. You know, like a, a Fender Champion is a brilliant little clean amp, but probably not the best choice for metal. Yeah, I, I mean... They're they're getting better in terms of what they're offering. Um, I think, I, th- I think the katana and being accomplishing what it accomplished by getting a pretty convincing brown sound tone and all yep. and all that that sort of stuff at that price point. Now I'm starting to see a lot more of the small, even smaller, co- little combo solid state amps having like a metal channel or an insane, you know, like the Line Six having the insane thing. Um, are they are they the best of those tones that no. are out there? No. Will it get your feet wet and get you going and off to the races? Absolutely. Yeah, and you're still going to yeah. play it because it's not awful. No, absolutely not. You know, I, it, I, in fact, I use a Champ 20 at home as a bench amp. Okay, perfect. <clears throat> and it's got a metal setting. And it's, oh, does it? Yeah, it, well, it's, I, I can't, I don't want to speak out of turn here. I don't remember I if I don't it's know. if it's I I can't remember if it actually says metal or not on it, but it's the final setting. There's three different gain stages, and you know, is it is it uh, a, the the dual rec? No, it's not. But it's it's it has that sort of heavy, crunchy, sort of chuggy thing that yeah. that I like, and it it does the job close enough. You know, well, and I think, I, but I think that's the point that you made earlier. Does it encourage you to play? Yes. And yeah. if it does, go for it. Go for it. Forget all the n- other nonsense. Attenuators can help. Now, they're not necessarily for design for the new player, but if you find an amplifier that has output level controls mm-hmm. or some form of attenuation, that just makes it a lot more versatile. Definitely. In the home, uh, like the little Black Stars. Yep. The HT5s yeah. uh, and their whatever their, their base version is. Yep. They've got uh, the switch right on the back of them, yeah. And I know the Black Stars have a, they've got a, a decent distortion channel. I I think it's great. I think yeah. it's great. I I mean, Black Star, I, if if I got the story right, was born from a, a bunch of guys who who left Marshall. Oh, that that is factually true. Yeah. yeah. And you know, Mar if Marshall knows all about distortion and. You know, Black Star. Yeah, basically, how do I take a basement and make it cook? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I think I think the Black Star stuff is is fantastic too, really. and it's and it's still a pretty good value because it hasn't. Yeah, it hasn't gone astronomical in its pricing. Yeah, I think the majority of of what's available is um, is made, I believe, in China. 
I think it, I think I think it's which, built in, which designed keeps, in the UK, built in China. Yeah, which keeps, keeps the price, price down, yeah. and they also offer a variance of solid state or two. Yep. Yeah, and they do the both of those things really well. They do a good job. Yeah. So that's another another line that the emerging or intermediate metal player could look at. That's going to serve for a decent sized club gig. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm hearing guys going to clubs with a 40 watt being told turn that because 40 watts is just too loud. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I, I and I hear it. It's funny being an older guy, you know, like young people going, oh, that's just too loud. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Yeah. That, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for saying that. Because... And, and I'm sorry, guys. I'm not trying to diss folks, but no, I... if it's not moving my trousers, it's not working. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the gigs, the 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 initial gigs in the genre that I went to, it was loud enough that when even just when the kick drummer or the 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 drummer hit the kick drum, sorry, you know, he would hit it and I would blink. It was that loud, right? You know, he'd hit his snare drum and I would blink. It would be that loud, and then you know, obviously, if the drums are that loud, guitars and bass have to come up that loud to match. So, I'm accustomed to that. Yeah, you know. Um, I mean, I wear ear protection now. Yeah, me too. Now, <laughs> what? Yeah, I didn't always. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that that was certainly part of it back in the day for sure. Was was and there is volume. and there is something to the, to any player. You know, this this question came up, and I thought it was really interesting. The answer I heard because it's not because I'm Mister Smart Guy, but it's the answer I've given. In the past, hey, you know, my wife or my husband's or my kids or everybody's going to be out of town for the weekend. Is there anything that I should do practicing that will help me be, be better? Yeah, you're alone. Turn it up. Absolutely. Turn yes. it right up until you can barely stand it. Because that's going to reveal a lot about your playing. Yep, absolutely. You'll yeah. find out real quick if you're being sloppy. You will. Yeah, volume doesn't lie. No. Uh, so again, a decent amplifier for the home. You know, even a 15-watt amp Yeah. at full chat. Yeah. That's pretty darn loud in a bedroom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, like a, going back to what you were saying before, having a clean platform, you know, you could get, uh, you could even get something like a Fender. The Princeton 15? A, a Princeton would work as well. I don't know if they're 15, but, you know, a you could take an amp like that and then, you know, even if you wanted to play metal, you know, like there's so many pedals out there. Put a drive the pedal. Well, in fact, let's talk about pedals. Yeah. So are there pedals? Now we've tried to get people into the, able to play the genre without spending a ton of money. Yep. But we're the wrong guys to listen to. Because <laughs> we're pedal junkies. Yeah. It's I love pedals. Me too. Super so what fun. pedals, for the metal player, what pedals are, like, What what's the first three or the first five that most metal players will find value in? Uh, well, if you are using an app that's multiple channels, um, that has, like, a dedicated rhythm and lead channel, um, I would say, because that'll, that's where your primary gain is going to come from, um, so things like an overdrive and a noise gate, because with gain and overdrive, inevitably comes, comes noise. noise. Um, so I would, I would definitely say starting there. Um, 
However, if you're running the opposite type of setup where you're going into a clean platform, the options for distortion pedals out there now is it's, it's mind boggling. Um, you know, but a couple of things that come to mind. Well, I think that's what scares people away. Yeah. Because there's so many options. So as a metal player, yeah. pick some. Uh, the EVH, the EVH Overdrive, I think it's MXR that makes it. Yeah, it is MXR one. that makes the EVH. Stuff. Also has a built-in noise gate, which is super handy. Oh, that's handy. Yeah, you don't have to. Is, is that the one that George Tripp's designed specifically for Ed? I don't know. but Because um, he did a lot of the designs at MXR, yeah. but in conjunction with Mr. Van Halen. Yeah, well, it's... And, it's, and that guy knows a little bit about pedals. Yeah, definitely does. It is very amp-like. It's very convincing. Cool. Um, that would be a great one if you're going into a clean platform. People are going to hate me for saying this, but I still think the Metal Zone from Boss is a great place to start. It does have an EQ section that people have struggled with over the years. But... I get the feeling the metal zone is the pedal that people love to hate, especially when they've never tried one. Yeah, it's an easy, it's easy to pick on it, right? Well, it's, it's easy to pick on boss pedals. It, it is easy to pick on boss pedals. Because they do such a freaking good job at such a low price. They do. That's, that is totally their problem. But I think the metal zone is a great place to start because, and because you can get a whole bunch of different types of metal tones out of it. You can get a convincing thrash metal tone out of it. You can get a convincing, almost fuzz-like tone out of it, depending on how you EQ it. And because it's got that really fine EQ section where you can really dial things in, it makes it a lot more versatile than it gets credit for. It also makes for a wonderful overdrive. So you could use it in front of a dirty amp with the distortion down, level up. And just as a push. And it, Yeah, like just a as boost. a push. And you also have uh, those four bands to right. EQ it however you want. So you can EQ a clean boost it's great eq is the difference between great and excellent agreed but you've got to invest the time yeah. try it well, that's the funny thing you can't put everything at noon and just say well that's what it does yeah exactly uh if they're giving you all this tonal uh territory to play with you know expect to search for it a little bit you know yeah that's that's part they of. They didn't fun. put the knobs there for fun. Yeah, exactly. If if they didn't want you to twist the knobs, it would have just been one you know, one stomp box with a volume, and right. that's not what it is. It, no, it is actually more versatile. So I would I would say that's a great pedal to start out with. Be okay, all right. So you've given us two the EVH mm -hmm. uh, with the built-in gate, the metal zone. Yep. Anything else? Uh, Proco Rat again, because oddly enough, you know, the, that's the they, sound of Sabbath. It, it can be, absolutely. It can also just completely morph and become uh, a few different genres at once. If you turn the distortion all the way up, it can sag out and you can almost get into that drone, doom, stoner metal territory. Right, right. You know, if I you... I think the challenge with the rat is that people don't understand what the what the filter knob does. Yeah, which is funny because it it only goes one way or the other. So it was really just turn clear. the damn thing. Yeah, just move it. Just like the metal zone, move it around and and keep and going until your you ears like. tell you you like it. Exactly. Uh, Proco rat for sure. And 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 a rat is about a hundred and twenty bucks, guys. Yeah. Anyone who's paying seven hundred dollars for a tone bender recreation is an idiot because it's got like three bucks worth of parts in it. Yeah. 
you know, these are the pedals that we're talking about, like the rat, went through a huge evolution. There are lots of rats and they sound different. Yes, they do. Um, Boss has done, I think they've done three revisions of the Metal Zone. And they have a Wazicraft version as well, I think. Yep, they do. And, I mean, if you're not a pedal dork, the Wazicraft stuff is different. Yeah. And it sounds really good. They're incredibly well built. They really are. Yeah. I think those would be, like, if we're just talking about gain pedals to dirty up an amp, those, those would be my first three, for sure. Are there other effects, you know, that you could use either in front of the amp or in an effects loop? If the amp had it, you know, like, do you use delay? Do you use modulation? Do you use reverb? Yep, I do. Uh, okay. I do, personally, um, in the stuff that I like. Um, but I also have a, a separate pedal board set up for when I just want to go throw and go and just overdrive an amp and not worry about any of that stuff. So um, it'll depend on... The, the genre yeah, well, of you're metal. talking to the wrong guy, dude. You know, <laughs> I got a board for almost every amp. Yeah, so. it's wow. Well, I'm getting there too. It's 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 bad, but um, depends on the genre of metal because there there there's um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that that doesn't rely on any effects. It's just a dirty amp and loud and punch it. That's and go. it. And yeah, exactly. Uh, and then there's other there's other stuff out there now that where it's chocked full of effects and compressors and delay and you know, all that sort of stuff. And it, and it's all over the tracks. Um, what I think would be useful to a player would be, uh, we talked about EQ, the EQ on a metal zone, but I'm, I'm going to mention a specific EQ pedal, um, mm-hmm. by itself. Um, just having a six band or a 10 band or a, a seven band or whatever the configuration is, whether you, uh, have an amp with a dedicated dirty channel or whether you're running a clean app with a distortion pedal in front of it, an EQ pedal will, will be magic to you. You mentioned the MX, the 10 band. So I think that's the MXR. Yep. I know I talked about for a post about tools for acoustic amplifiers and acoustic guitars. You got to have an EQ pedal. Yeah, you do. Like the boss, uh, the boss of the GE seven. The G7 is... For, for guitar. They've also got a bass version. Yes, they do. Yeah. And, right about and that. you're about $180 for those. Yeah. And they're pretty much flawless. They are. And they both have a clean boost in them as well. Yes, they do. And the thing about them that I find is that it, it might not be the coolest way to spend your money. Like, you, it might be so much more appealing to walk out with a delay pedal or something no, like the that. the compressor is the least cool yeah. way to spend your money. <laughs> yeah. I think it's probably the most important, but yeah. I'm crazy. But once you utilize that EQ and it and you, it starts serving you for, for your purposes, it gets you to that tone because as we said, you know, maybe on a, a rat pedal, you know, that filter knob will only get you so far. It's got you close, but you're not quite there. You throw an EQ behind it and, you know, now you've got 10 bands of EQ to be able to tweak it. So... Well, I think that's an interesting point you make because a lot of times I see people putting the EQ at the front of the chain. Yeah. Not optimal. Well, it depends what your goals are. If you want to voice your pickups, voice your guitar differently. um, Okay, I get that. um, But if you want to tune your gain stages. That's right. Then the EQ. Last thing before the preamp. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I would say an EQ pedal for sure. And... A delay pedal always sounds great, especially if you're doing lead work. If you eventually get into those guitars with vibratos, 
and you marry that up with delay, it's a wonderful thing. And that, that's been a sound that's been around for a long time now. So you can't yeah, go and, wrong. And there are 10 zillion delays oh God, yeah. to choose from. On that topic, though, actually, I, I, I did write it down here that um, in my experience with high gain, we're using okay. a bunch of high gain. I love analog delays. I'll say that right off the bat. Yep. I love how warm they are. I love how, you know, they're just, they're comforting sounding. The darker repeat nature of an analog delay can sometime get, sometimes get washed away when you start introducing high gain. Right. And um, particularly drop tunings. Yeah. And particular drop tunings. So what I've, what I've personally experienced over the years is that even though digital delays are not my go-to delays, they actually sound better in the context of mixing it with high gain. You and, hear and, and I would concur with that, you know, just as I, as I've studied engineering and music production, what you just said is what the producers who do that kind of music you know, mm -hmm. do. They are the mastering engineers for metal. Yeah. And they advocate the digital delay because it is so pristine. Yeah. And so controllable. Yeah. Now, a lot of them, you know, as, as you would, you know, educated me some years ago, because none of my amps had one. If the amplifier has an effects loop yeah. that appears between the preamp and the power amp, Jack's called send and return. Mm -hmm. That's where you want to put your delay. hundred um, percent. And as a producer, that's now where I will drop one too. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a, you know, a, a digital delay or the musician is desiring the sound of a tape that's about to blow up. Yeah. And I, I, I want it to sound like a Maestro EP2 just before the tape breaks. Okay, fine. We can do that for yep. you. But we're going to put that on its own bus. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but you don't have to spend a lot on digital delays either. You don't. No, you don't. Anyone that you particularly like? I mean, I, there's ones I like, but they're stupid money. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there, they say I have even tied on them. Yeah. I, I like those ones too. Um, I, I really, really enjoy the simplistic nature of the, the boss stuff. And some of the newer ones also have, uh, the, they, they've reissued like the DDT or DD3T. Right. Um, and they've got a DD8T. Okay. So now you can plug tap tempo stuff into them and, and, okay. You know, you don't have to kneel down and, and, Twist and, the and knobs try to anymore. find try to find the, yeah. the the delay time. Yeah. No, that's a really good point that you make about the the value proposition in any delay, for any genre of having tap tempo. Yeah. Going back to the boss thing for a second, and and this is what I, I've talked about this a couple times, and you can definitely go down the rabbit hole in any genre metal. It can get silly. It is very nice to have some expensive high end boutique pedals. It's it's a great thing, and you should. Everybody should have yeah, as much as they yeah, can. Go for it. As, as a gigging musician, I've always circled back to MXR and Boss because simply if they're built like tanks for one, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, they offer the quality and the price is fantastic. But if you're playing in some small, you know, some small town or some small, you know, music venue in, you know, downtown wherever, and there's just some tiny little music store around the corner or if you're out in the sticks and there's just one tiny little music store out there there's a chance that if your sd1 overdrive breaks 
that you can walk into that store and find one and you can get one yeah and that, and that's and that's just it so again it's not like a, a waving the flag for for boss or mxr there again no endorsement there but they're readily available they make great stuff they're um, cost effective they're cost effective and they, if they get stolen you're not screwed you're not i out. mean you're hurt but yeah you're um, not down a thousand bucks and they can take a little bit of abuse they you do. know i i've i've personally beat the snot out of a lot of those pedals and and drag them to not even to gigs but rehearsals and just throwing oh, yeah. in the back of the car and, and all that stuff and they jam sessions keep, yeah they still keep coming wow. back for more just to sort of go back to whether effects certain effects are important in the genre absolutely you know i tend to favor i go on stages myself where you know sometimes i don't want the big production of, of a pedal board in front of me uh, or, or large pedal board in front of me. For the last couple of years, my board has been three pedals. And, you know, when I f sort of get in the mood, then I move over to my other big board with all the different gain stages and all the time stuff. And, you know, that goes back and forth, you know, depending on what I'm listening to. Well, so. But I think that that's fair for any genre of music. Absolutely. There are going to be days where you want to do nothing but plug straight into the amp. Yeah. And that's great. Mm-hmm. And then there are going to be days where you want to be the edge and yeah. plug into 500 pedals. Yeah. And that's also great. Yeah. But yeah. having the flexibility to do both is part of, at least in my opinion, the joy of just playing music for your own pleasure. Absolutely. You know, you've given us a good idea of what to look at for the guitar, for an amplifier. I've learned a lot you know, in terms of pedal choices. If we know, or at least we have reasonable guidance, and I thank you because I think you've offered really good, reasonable guidance for real people on real budgets in terms of guitar, amplifier options, pedal options. Are there any other bits of guidance that you would offer to the aspiring or growing metal player? Yeah, I think I'd circle back to what we've kind of talked about throughout this this episode is you know, be comfortable while you're playing, enjoy what you're playing. There will be people out there that will say, you know, you to be this, this type of player, you need this. That's not the case. Chart your own course, break some rules, take some advice and take, you know, take experience, what experienced players have, take their knowledge in, but that is not the gospel. Right. Decide for yourself. Decide for yourself. Experiment break all try the rules. stuff try stuff and and again you know in 2023 there were more options for you to try now and chances are easier to get now than any of the stuff what would have been even 10 years ago i think i think that another last thing i'd like to put out there is it's all going to come from your hands it's all going to come from your riffs absolutely you know you can throw any amplifier in front of yourself you can throw any pedals on the floor you're but still going to sound like you. You're still going to sound like you. So figure out what that sounds like first and don't get lost in the sort of the, the gear side of things. It's fun to have options, but those pedals don't communicate what you have to say as a player. No, no. You, know, it, you, it, you do that. Buying a signature anything will not make you sound like that. Thank you. I can guarantee it. I, there's an SRV Stratocaster right over there. Yeah. I sound nothing like Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Even if I play the Stevie Ray Vaughan Stratocaster. Yes. Into the same amp. I sound like me. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. Yeah. But 
Yeah, I, I it frustrates me a lot because I see this, as you say, that folk get hooked up on the gear. If I just get this thing, I'll be great. Yeah. But then if we look at our heroes, we find that their gear kit is a revolving door. Yes, it is. Well, Steve, you only played a strat. Um, no, that's not true. Or Pagey only ever played the Les Paul. Uh, no. Have you heard yeah. Led Zeppelin one? Yeah. It's a Telecaster. Yeah. So I, I, I worry that that sometimes, particularly for young people, because they are so heavily influenced by what they see on YouTube and what they hear on whatever else they listen to and watch. And look, I confess, I'm ignorant of a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Ed Van Halen didn't become Ed Van Halen because he bought cool gear. It's because he played for six hours every night, seven days a week, while his brother was out getting drunk. That's right. And whether you like his music or not, fair enough. But you got to respect the effort and initiative you put into it. And if I think about the guitarists that I love, Jimmy Page was a session guitarist for 10 years yeah. before Zeppelin. People, mm -hmm. you sloppy. No. Go ahead. Try and replicate it. Yeah. Ask a guy like Joe Bonamassa if he can play like Jimmy Page. He'll say no because he doesn't have Page's slur, right? his style. I listen to Jeff Beck. I love Jeff Beck. I take Jeff Beck lessons from Tim Pierce, who is, I think, a terrific teacher. Mm -hmm. The problem is we sound like Jeff. We don't sound like ourselves. And, and Mr. Pierce says the same thing. Yep. So part of the goal is, yeah, find music that influences that you love, but use it as a tool to sound like you. Yeah, and to just to go even a slightly one a deeper with that, one one step further. A lot of my favorite guitar players are terrible guitar players. If we're talking about their technique, if we're talking about what they can do, I found later on, you know, that some of my favorites weren't necessarily shredder guys. Like obviously there's a ton of those guys in the, in the metal genre, but a whole bunch of other ones who can barely put three power chords together, but the way they play and the conviction that they play with and, and the emotion that and comes the emotion through. that comes through sells me on it and keeps me coming back for more, way more than anybody who can play, you know, a thousand notes a, a minute, a thousand notes a minute. I can listen to Robert Johnson who devil or not, yeah, was not a great guitar player, right? But the emotion he makes you feel something. You you feel something, and I suspect that this is true for the metal genre as as well. It is like my eight string is called a Bowden metal because I guess that's where the first players, the genre that first players of Strandberg eight strings we came from. Real quick story, please. I remember. I think it was around 2001, 2002, hearing that, just while we're on the topic of eight strings again, hearing that my favorite metal band at that time, Meshuggah, were putting out a new album. And they were already established seven-string players by this time. And they were putting out a new album. And they were going to be using custom-built eight strings. Those guitars didn't even really exist not in the context 
the like we see now what we see today where there's multiple choices yeah i think it was a because they're a swedish band i'm pretty sure it was a swedish guitar come swedish guitar maker and it was nevborn guitars was the name really yeah and there's photos online of like the the first versions of that and it, i just thought it was so cool that there would probably be a bunch of people even within the metal genre oh what are you doing you know what do you need eight strings for again they're doing what they want well, to do people hate change they're kicking doors down and they're writing the rule book and i think that that is is a more meant more of a metal and punk attitude of like we're throwing the rule book out the window we're making something that didn't happen before cody i i'm so thrilled that we spent this time and yeah it's a long episode would you be a co-host again? I would love to come back. Thank you very much for having me. It, oh, no, man, this has great. been awesome. This has been really I, I think it's going to create a lot of value for the listeners. Yeah. And and I'm very, very fortunate because I'm not sponsored in any way. Yeah. I just do this because I love it. So, guys, thanks very much for listening. As always, much appreciated. Please subscribe to the articles and the podcast, this podcast, at thatguitarlover.com. If you subscribe, you'll get notification when a new episode or new article is posted. We try to put a new article and a new podcast out every single week. I'm Ross. I'm Cody. Until next time, peace.